Formula Access, welcome. Today I got a really special guest. I met this particular guest at uh, one of my son's races and I was sitting trackside with one of the other dads and I was introduced to this uh, gentleman and uh, come to find out he is the team owner of Force Indy, which is an Indy Lights team and in Indy car racing. Uh, we immediately just uh, started brain dumping on each other and um, had about a 45 minute conversation trackside. And I was like, man, I got to have you on the show. I need you to tell your story. I need you to tell everybody what you're doing. What you're doing is phenomenal and amazing. And here we are. He's got an incredible story that just transcends 30 years of just being around motorsport, learning motorsport, embedding himself in a passion, and just going for it. We had lots of laughs. He's got an awesome story. He's got a, an awesome story coming. So you guys, this will be another two-parter. Enjoy. Formula Access, welcome. We bring the people of motorsports to your doorstep, and every single week I am trying to find another piece of the puzzle, and today I've succeeded. We are bringing you somebody from an entirely different part of the world of motorsports, a place that we spent a lot of our early days in and we are now getting back into. Um, I met this gentleman at my son's race uh, through a mutual friend of ours and um, through one quick intro we had to have talked for like 45 minutes straight and we were like two kids who wouldn't shut up and I am so excited to bring to you today Rod Reed of Force Indy as well as NXG Youth Motorsports. Rod, Coach Rod, thank you for coming on the show. Ryan, I'm loving it. This is great. Thank you for having me. Every time you email me, I see Coach Coach Rod, and I'm like, who's Coach Rod? Is he a performance coach? And then I was like, oh, yeah, 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 Rod, Rod, okay. <laughs> Are you a driver coach too? You know, um, it's so funny because that, that term, especially when people say coach and particular, in communities that are non-racing, you know, they immediately think, oh, did you coach basketball or football or, you know, where'd, where'd that coach come from? And it was just simply with NXG Youth Motorsports, I work with kids that are 11 years old and up. And okay. when you've got an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, you're trying to teach them respect. And I didn't particularly want to be called Mr. So, uh, <laughs> or instructor or teacher. So um, someone said to me, you know, uh, are you the coach? And I said, yeah, yeah, actually I am the coach. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's coach more in the sense of um, kind of that little league mindset, you know. So, but all my kids call me Coach Reed, and, um, and then adults would hear it. And then I, I'll, I'll never forget, I was talking to, uh, to Doug Bowles, president of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. One day he had come out, and he goes, all the kids call you coach. Should I call you coach? I said, you've known me forever. You can call me Rod. You can call me whatever. But so he started calling me Coach Reed. And then most of the people in motorsports that have met me through either NXG uh, or Force Indy lately, they will say Coach Reed. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll answer to just about anything, long as it's not too derogatory. <laughs> I. I seriously, like, I, I love that. Like, as you were talking, I was like, that's going to be the name of his movie. When yeah, they, when they tell his life story, it's just going to be Coach Reed. Yeah, what did you coach? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but doesn't, that, that like, fires up conversation, doesn't, doesn't it? I think. It really does, yeah. Um, there, there are some people that will say, um, you know, especially when I'm doing Force Indy, which is, you know, as you know, is Indy Lights or now Indy NXT series. Um, we are constantly having you know people back and forth with in different positions, and you know I'm you know I'm owner and team principal and all of that, but then they hear someone call me coach and they say, "Are you are you the driver coach?" And I was no. This year we had Zach Beach as a driver coach for Ernie Francis Jr. and um, 
and when someone would come up, and Zach asked me, he goes, Coach Reed? I, go, I said, sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, um, I think the idea is, um, you know, I am coaching maybe more a life coach, um, more skill development coach than I am, let's say, a driver coach or um, a strategy coach for, for racing. And, and I actually enjoy that. I mean, I love working with young people. And I, I started off with uh, kids that were too young to really even understand what motorsports was about. And especially with the target community that I reach, um, predominantly African-American boys and girls, you know, they have no idea what racing's all about. So when they hear coach, I think it becomes a, a level of respect that uh, I appreciate and I hopefully they feel there's a sense of connection with me and when they're learning about about racing. Don't you feel like that's a lost art these days? I I am around a lot of young kids too. I mean I've got two teenagers, so I'm around a lot, you know, and we have family and in a multitude of ages and and I just feel like kids today are rudderless when it comes to what do I want to be when I grow up? It's like, what, is, what did I see on TV that's really cool versus what am I passionate about? What wakes me up in the morning? You know, what am I deeply, deeply focused on? And also just, you know, as you said, like the respect, I feel like people have lost respect for, you know, the adults. You know, our kids in, in elementary school had the essential 55, which was like your please and your thank you and your yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And um, you know, and, and I refer back to that even to this day, you know, it's probably 10 years later and I'm like, you know, essential 55 and they're like, Oh, may I please have this, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, where did this go? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's not, as you said, it's not genuine, Ryan. It's, it's more of the, um, you know, I'm supposed to say, please, I always get, I always chuckle when I think about walking into a, a Walmart and they can say, you know, welcome to Walmart, you know, good afternoon. And it, it, it's so robotic. Yeah. And um, uh, with our kids, I have a very, very disciplined curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it starts with the way you sit, the way you put on your helmet and clothes, because we provide everything for the, for these young people. Um, driving suits and gloves and helmet and all of that and they start to have this whole sense of pride in putting those things on and then in turn when you start to say I will call you you know your name's Ryan so I'm gonna say okay mr. Ryan and I'll give you that respect uh, you know as a young youngster they don't see that and they don't hear that I don't think they get that in school to your point you know the teachers are trying to be their buddies or their friends and I'll tell them in a heartbeat I'm not I'm not here to be your buddy I'm here <laughs> to teach you something to give you a sense of um, pride in what you do help you get maybe have some accomplishment in your life but the other key part is that you will leave feeling that you're important too and it doesn't matter each one I, one of the things that I say a lot because we drive Obviously, we drive go-karts, and uh, they get an opportunity to race or to compete. And um, they'll ask me all the time, oh, Coach Reed, you think I'm going to win? And I said, I have no care or consideration for who wins and who doesn't. And yep. they really think that's crazy. Why don't you care? I said, I care about your safety. I care about did you apply what we learned? You know, can you leave here? with a takeaway that gets me excited but if you're you know if if, if Susie's faster than Johnny I don't care then you know I said that just means we all come at a different stage in our lives can you improve so uh, I think that's one of the reasons we've been pretty successful it's 17 years now for hmm. NXT which stands for next generations so we started it as an approach to the next generation of racers and um and we thought that next generations, next generations should include young people of color, which hadn't really, there was, to my knowledge, few if any grassroots programs like we have for stick and ball sports in, in motorsports. So that's how we got started. But that takeaway 
Brian, is really the, the, the respect. And if I can see a young pers person, you know, 10 years later, and they come up and they say, hey, Coach Reed, and I say, hey, how are you, Mr. Eric? Um, or even by their last name, if I remember it. <laughs> um, it's, it just feels really, really good that there's, there's that connection. Yeah, I, I will never forget, I spent some time earlier this year with Andretti's sports management uh, leadership team. And, um, and I asked them, I said, you know, I've, I like I've considered a, maybe a hobby or a career or the side hustle of managing young drivers, <laughs> you know, and I was like, what do you what do you look for? You know, like what, what's important to you? I mean, because any kid with a ton of money and, you know, a solid race engineer can perform, you know, and, and yes, there is talent involved, but you know, you, you can, you can buy your way to the top. Now, when you get to the top, you're on your own, but, <laughs> um, right. but you can get there. They're, yeah. They're, like what, what, right. what is it? Like, what, what are you looking for? If you go to a track, what outside of the winner, what are you looking for? And they said, we, we want character. You know, we don't want to buy a problem. We are going to invest in these kids for a very long time. And we know we're going to lose a fortune while we bring them up to the top. And, you know, and then, you know, like, like any sport, when somebody achieves a level of success and gets a big bank account, it, it doesn't make things easier. It, um, it multiplies everything. And so, you know, if you have bad character, now you have legal troubles, you have all sorts of things that the team now has to clean up to keep their reputation pristine. And, and, and I was, I was actually really shocked by that. Cause I was like, yes, motorsports is a pretty rough and gruff, you know, sport, you know, and, and, um, and you're looking for character. I was like, wow, <laughs> these are the yeah. kinds of people that I want to be around because, you know, they, they know what matters. And so I think that's a great, that's a great mission statement that you have. And I like listening to you talk, you, you exemplify all of those characteristics of respect, honor, integrity, things that yeah, you need. Yeah, and I can tell I you enforce that. that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's funny, you, 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 you talked about that conversation you had with uh, the folks at Andretti. And as I go around the paddock, especially now that I'm connected more to some of the IndyCar teams, you know, the highest at the highest level, you realize that um, our sport is set up so that you do come up through this ladder system that's heavily driven by money. And mm -hmm. most of those dollars are coming from families and, and friends and folks who want to support these young people. And so by the time they get to the top, you know, they may not have had to develop a whole lot of character, <laughs> you know, a whole lot of uh, skills in communicating and respecting and feeling like, you know, there's um, uh, importance from leadership. And, uh, and I see it all the time. And I, I hear teams, and I'm, I'm one of them, that the last thing you want is to have a, a young person on your team, a young driver, and you've got to deal with that person and their parents because their parents happen to be paying. And um, I think that's something we've got to, we've got to wrestle with. You know, I'm, I, I, I think you and I talk, talked about this when we first met. I'm a true believer that our sport would be a lot better off if we could turn it into a talent-based, talent-driven sport versus pay-to-play. And um, until we do that, we are going to have those challenges that come with individuals that may feel entitled or, or you know, that are, are privileged. And, you know, I get that from my kids. And I'm not uh, saying that they're poor because they're not, but in terms of racing, they're they're super poor because they just don't have the kind of disposable income to putting you know thousands and thousands of dollars into karting or you know lower levels of formula racing. Yeah, I you know I think if I ever was put in a position of leadership in, in any sort of motorsport, I would immediately move towards. A meritocracy of talent and character and and that is the defining characteristic overall and i think i think off the track you you see a ton of that you know formula one's had massive massive overhauls of um equality and you know just basically like 
who's the most creative and smartest people on the planet and we don't care if it's a golden retriever we want them on our team and and that's it you know and and now you're starting to see other other series kind of do that but you know i've had i've i mean i've had tatiana calderon i've had abby eaton on the show both respectable racers and you know competitive champions and they both say like sponsors have no money for you know females in the sport and it's like you know and it's 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 a problem you know and i and yeah. i imagine the that's the origin story of nxg it, it really is um you know when i started yes i was young at one time like you ryan <laughs> now i uh, uh i got involved in motorsports uh through just the excitement of listening to the 500 on the radio because here in indianapolis when i was growing up and i was a teenager they wouldn't broadcast it live in this market you would have to go to chicago or you know you'd have to get a probably two to three hours away before you could actually get a broadcast so a live broadcast on television so i would listen to it live on the radio as many people did and you'd cook out and all that and i was just so excited i go like one of these days i want to go to to that race my family wasn't into it i didn't know one single person that went to the 500 How? and that that's you know this is you know, I'm, I'm talking in, in the sixties um, and seventies. How did you like, how did you even get an, an interest in it to you know, tune into yeah. the radio? <laughs> you know, I was, um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, um, a lot of kids, uh, I would have model cars that I would make yeah. and build. And, uh, I had a couple of slot cars, you know, for, uh, racing, uh, cars and, um, I think just the idea of the speed and, you know, little cool cars. I remember building a, uh, you know, a Vet Stingray and a Corvette Stingray. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You know, it looked so much like the real one on the street. My dad had a, um, for literally, this is for like a hot minute, he decided that he would go get um, a Ford Mustang GT and bring it home. And that's about all that happened because as soon as my mom saw it, she said, you must have lost your mind. You know, you got three kids. We, we cannot afford this. And so, um, but I got a chance to look in it. Never got a chance to drive it. He was just tested, had test driven it. Uh -huh. And I, I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, we get excited about cars. And, and even though we may not know about racing, we just, the roar of the engines and all that, you know, nostalgic stuff. Um, and I think the hype of the 500 you hear about, you know, so-and-so wins and, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just all this pomp and circumstance. So for me, when I got to be 17, um, I graduated from high school and I was at Purdue or on my way to Purdue. And um, I, I someone told me about being a yellow shirt, which uh, Brian, as you may know, a yellow shirt is, they, they call us security or, you know, we picked up trash is what we did. <laughs> But we would uh, be there, and then you know, days before and 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 a few days after the the 500, and uh, you know, we'd walk around, pick up trash, make sure you know people didn't do anything crazy, but they were doing stuff crazy anyway. And it was minimum wage, so um, I did it, and that was my very first race. I got to like peep in over the fence, if you will. I didn't have a seat, and I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And so. Um, I wanted to go back and I didn't go back, I think, until I was out of college and uh, I was working for an engineering firm and uh, my background's in architectural engineering and I was uh, working for uh, this firm and one of the guys said, hey, we're going to the 500 this weekend, you want to go? Yeah, I'm in. What's that cost? You know, and um, and I was in the infield, you know, and then I realized at that point I couldn't see much. <laughs> so I said, next year I'm going to make some money and I'm going to sit in a seat. And um, I'll be honest with you, Ryan, I had no idea what was going on. I just thought, okay, they're going around and it sounds really good and they got more laps to go and then somebody won. And it wasn't until uh, th this friend that I went with started talking to me about racing. And I didn't even realize that there was racing beyond the 500. I thought that was once a year and that was it, you know, like the Super Bowl, right? So, um, yeah, that was my, my early exposure. 
And I think, you know, fast forward to where I am today, I try to have that same mindset and remember that most of the kids that I talk, that I work with and talk to, they have no connection. You know, they're watching football every day and they're watching basketball and they can understand, they can go in the, down to the corner and bounce the ball around, but you can't go jump into a go-kart or a race car, um, except maybe a street car, you know, some street racing they understand, but they don't understand the game, they don't understand the play. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll tell you this quick story, I went to the 500 in 2016 and I talked to some folks about getting a lot of kids from the inner city to go. And so our goal was to get 500 kids to come to the 500. And we ended up with 125. And it was like herding cats, man. Yeah. I was going <laughs> nuts. And I tried to give them some orientation. And the first thing happened is they got on 16th Street. And you know the distance from 16th Street to the north stands, which is where our seats were, is over a mile as the crow flies. Okay. So when you're walking and, you know, 250,000 people, it took us 50 minutes to make that walk. And the kids were worn out and they were going like, where is the, where are the race cars? Where's the track? Because you can't even see the track, even though we came in under it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was an eye opener for me that their experience was not very good because they, they didn't know what to expect, even though I told them. And when the race started, they said, well, why are all the cars just kind of going in a line? Nobody's passing each other. And I said, well, they're trying to pass each other. But if you could imagine that someone has no clue as to what this game is all about, and you take them to a race and you try to explain what's going on with cars going by at 200 miles an hour, 200 yeah. plus, and, um, and they're in one section and they don't see anybody pass. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, it's just, follow the leader for two hours so what what is the story behind nxg so you have this period of like architecture and then now you're a team owner in motorsport. <laughs> <laughs> like pretty unlikely what, what happened in here <laughs> well i can tell you um i've i've had these uh uh sort of divergent worlds in my life and but there's 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 sort of one common thread and um i've accepted it and i embrace it and that common thread is that i've always been in a situation where i'm one of the few blacks mm-hmm. in whatever that is i was it was the same way in architecture mm-hmm. you know in my office there were 110 people this is my first firm I worked for out of school there were only two blacks and it was myself and I was actually in the design department and the other guy was the inner office mail carrier Mm -hmm. and uh, I would connect with him and talk and he was super proud of me for being in design he said I've never seen anybody you know in in that position when when was this like what year range man so this is like I came out of school in 76 75 76 and um uh i went in man i went into an environment that i wasn't prepared for from a standpoint of um just being one of the few and there are really really great people and then there are people that are not so great there it was pretty obvious that there were folks that didn't want me there um i got situ- <laughs> Uh, I, I had a situation where a person would spray the phone with Lysol when I used it because that was back before you know <laughs> cell phones. Um, <laughs> but we had uh, we had telephones in the department that people would use to to communicate. And um, you know the first time I saw it, I just kind of blew it off and said, "Ah, maybe you know it's time for the secretary to clean the phone or something." But then I noticed every time I used the phone, she would take out the Lysol, spray it, and clean it off. And I didn't see her do that with other people. So I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. I mean, I'm a young man. I'm in my 20s. I didn't have, had an experience, that sort of thing. So hang on, hang on. That is a really important topic here. (laughs) Okay, so you're like, you're a kid. Okay. I'm a kid. I'm a kid. I'm 21 years old. You're 21 years old. You're in a professional work environment. And you basically like, it's full of haters and just ignorance. Like, 
How is a 21-year-old, how did you succeed from that? I mean, I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop. So, like, if I'm in that situation, <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, You're you know, call, look at it, spit in yeah, it. Yeah. Then, you know, like, I mean, yes, I'm a, I'm, I'm a nice, respectful Christian man. And, like, right, right. but I'm also... I'm pretty impatient. So like what, what character in your childhood developed you for that? That's um, wildly mature. Well, I would say, and, and there's two things in, and, and I, I want to make sure I, I uh, give you the right impression here. There's nothing unique about those kind of situations when you grow up black in America. Yeah. And that's that's real. That's not me complaining. Oh me, oh my. Um, it's just that's just a reality that you grow up with, and you realize that at a very very young age, when uh, there's some level of overt discrimination that you that you encounter, and you usually encounter it at you know three four years old, and then by the time you get you know to be a teenager, you pretty much understand it, especially if you're put in an environment where you. Um, where you're exposed to it. So for me, I think it was without question, you mentioned being a good Christian man. My mom, good Christian lady, and I, I was fortunate to have both parents at home um, yeah. through my high school. And, um, you know, we, we went to church and my mom would always say, turn the other cheek, even though I didn't agree with that. But I went all through high school and I don't think I got in one fight. You know, you know the first time I ever got in a fighter was with my cousin. You know, it wasn't even a, it was family but um I, I think you know she instilled in us um that whole idea that you know you can't really change a person if you just fight them you've got to kind of give them an idea that maybe uh, you know if you want to change them you know give them an idea that things are okay and um i'll take a step back and say that when i started in high school um this was during, uh, a lot of people don't remember this, but there was uh, desegregation of schools and, and mm -hmm. court-ordered busing. So mm -hmm. we would bus from the neighborhood that I lived in, which was all black, to a neighborhood that was pretty much predominantly white and a school that was predominantly white. And that happened when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. That and wasn't well-received either, was it? Not at all. No, yeah. no, we, we had uh, kids walk out of school. We had parents take their kids out of school, and there was a thing that was called white flight, and that would be where, um, you know, uh, Caucasian people would move out of neighborhoods if a black person moved in. So those things are, are, are overt, not to me directly, but right, to right. us as a whole. So growing up in that, by the time I got to the workplace and saw this sort of thing, you know, I figured it was more her problem because... I wasn't going to stop using the phone. She's just going to run out of lights off. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that, that um, I think impressed me the most about growing up the way that I did is how many people, um, and it's maybe a small percent, but there were a, a large number of people that said, you know, certain things are wrong. What can we do to help? And, and that's what's kept me going because um, – but I'll be honest with you, my, um, I got involved in, in motorsports through, um, I left the architecture firm and um, started working at an ad agency. Um, mm -hmm. I was really, really good artist, and, and I really wanted to go into art, but my parents said, now nah, you won't make any money in art. So, so I did the next best thing, I thought. So architectural engineering was it. And um, I started working as an art director for an ad agency, and I was directing uh, well, we did some some broadcast stuff, but the mainly print. And uh, I had a client who happened to be um, an African American company that was in oil, did, did, you know, delivering home oil. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, "Hey, this uh, person has come to me, and I want you to review the, your, our ad spend." And the person has asked me about motorsports. You know anything about motorsports? Yeah, I know about motorsports. I know I know what a race is. So. Um, <laughs> I uh, just told him, I said, let me look into it because I was so in, enthralled with racing. I just uh, I met with this person uh, and who happened to be a race car driver, and he started telling me about he was, what he was doing. And I dove right in and did all my due diligence and study, and I said,
doesn't make any sense for the oil company. I said, you're racing on the West Coast. He can't benefit from you here in Indianapolis. Uh, why should he sponsor you? And uh, so I shared that with, with my client. And, and we went on. But I, what happened, though, is I decided that I was going to seek sponsorship for this young man. It was Charles Wilson. And that was in, um, in 1980. It was, well, we started, we became friends in 1980. But 1982, I agreed to um, really start seeking sponsorship for him. And mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's actually how I got in racing. Now, I wasn't a driver. didn't go to racing school. didn't do any of those things initially. Um, and he was racing and trying to, he, he transitioned from karting to Formula Ford and then eventually uh, went to Jim Russell, which was the Skip Barber of the day. I think he worked, mm -hmm. Skip, both worked with Skip Barber for a little while. Um, but uh, that's how I got started. And I was able to, to garner sponsorship with Budweiser the same time that Willie T. Ribs was doing Trans Am and um, uh, others were, you know, because Budweiser was spending money in yeah. every form of racing, you know, from from uh, speedboats to you know, you name it, they were they were in it, and um, they, you know, I convinced them that they should look into this. I said, no one's come to the 500. You know, we need to get someone in the open wheel uh, system. So we did Super V, we did Formula Atlantic, and um, we were poised to do IndyCar, and um, I had we had our first really really negative experience in racing when when I took some money to uh, a then professional race car driving team which was uh, Dick Simon and I usually don't tell people this because you know I I've moved on but this was <laughs> in 1988 um, we got royally screwed you know we took money uh, we were supposed to to um, test the car was serviced didn't have it was you know six gears and, and two of them didn't work and so uh, we were being tested and observed by at that time Pancho Carter who was the one who would give permission for drivers to, to run in the 500 and uh, and he said you know hey don't worry about it I'll get the car taken care of and we'll get you back out here and I paid a lot of money for that one day session thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and I learned as a young man in my 20s First of all, don't give up all your money. I didn't know better at that time before you get, you know, get what's due you. And then the second thing is um, you got to really pick and choose who you trust. So, yep. so that we were bitter. Ryan, for 10 years, I said, you know what, we're done. Because for one, we didn't have any more money and we didn't have anywhere else to go. It was IndyCar level we were ready for. And um, I stayed away. I did not go to any IndyCar races for 10 years. Wow. So I only focused on Formula One, got into some IMSA stuff. I like prototypes. Um, but that was, you know, that was, uh, that was our, and, and you know, I look in back and think, you know, who got hurt there? Well, it didn't, the industry didn't get hurt. Um, so we didn't get a chance to do some of the things we might've liked to do because we enjoyed this, the, the series. But that what was, did, you know, was in. What did you do? Outside of so when you left, were you doing sponsorship and ad work in Formula One and IMSA, or were you doing driver oh, management? No, no. At that time, uh, so uh, Charles, his his background, he was a rework mechanic um, at Detroit Diesel Allison. He went on to start racing and uh, became a mechanic there. And then he decided he would go to school and be an engineer for Amtrak. So he became an Amtrak Amtrak engineer. I came back. Um, started uh, a business which I have now 28 years old RLR Associates we are a branding company place branding so I do a lot of projects that have to do with um, the built environment so still architectural work but we work on museums and we, we, we do you know corporate identity as well but uh, heavy on on large signage projects so if you go to the speedway and you look around you walk the signage design for the speedway is our work okay and um so yeah i got i completely out of race and didn't do anything for like i said for 10 years um maybe go to a few races then when um when i got back in it um it was charles and i both had decided we would go uh, stefan johansson had a um go-karting center here in mm -hmm. indy and he said let's go over there and run some go-karts so we did 
we got finished, went to a pizza hut, and I go, man, we like racing. Why, why are we letting these guys get to us? Let's do something. He goes, let's buy a stock car. I said, man, he, yeah. Oh, I had him on my show two weeks ago. You Like, you guys are buddies? Who's that? Stefan. Stefan Johansson? No, yeah. no, I, he, he doesn't even know me. I just went okay, to okay. I just okay. went to his karting center. Yeah, next time you talk to him, say, hey, I know a guy who went to your karting center way back in the day. Okay, um, okay. No, I, we didn't know him. We, we just went to the karting center. And uh, you, you put this in context, Ryan. When we left in the 80s um, and, and no longer were out there, I mean, Charles was the only black driver in, in all of open wheel. Willie was the only one in, in, in Trans Am and, you know, went on to try to do some, some NASCAR stuff. Um, but uh, there was that huge gap. Mm-hmm. So Willie didn't come to the 500 until 91. I was here. I, that, I did come to the race in 91. Um, and, uh, and then he did, you know, another stint in 93. That's it. Think about it. 30 years until George Mack, or 30 years, you know, now, but yeah. George Mack didn't come until 2003. So the series and the industry didn't miss us because we were never really there. Mm. So um, most people didn't know me, didn't know my background. Uh, when I got back into, you know, with Indy Lights, people were like, well, who is this guy? You know, they had how, no idea what, what my background was. So how did that come around? Were you just like, I want to start an Indy Lights team? Uh, no. <laughs> After after we left Stefan's karting center and went to the pizza hut, we said, you know what, we should do something in racing and maybe help the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Next Gen Racers came from. And we said, we would go buy a stock car, get a young kid and teach him how to drive it. So we did, bought a, bought a stock car and uh, Charles raced it a little bit and we kept trying to find some young people to go in it. And we realized there's this huge cultural divide. So I couldn't just take a kid and put him in it. So uh, I said, you know what? We're not going to make it like this. We need to start at the grassroots level. Let's start with karting. So we bought 15 go-karts. This is in, wow. this is in 2006. Um, we pitched Lucas Oil and a couple other people, talked to Honda. You know, I didn't have any problem talking to folks. So yeah. um, uh, convinced them that this is something really good for the sport and good for kids. And some of them would listen say, yeah, and others would, eh, you know. It's it, it ended up get being enough for us to start our program here in Indy. And uh, so we had our first one in September of 06. Well, fast forward. In 2019, Roger Penske buys the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Okay. We had been running Next Gen Racers, now NXG Youth Motorsports, there since the beginning, since we started in 06. Quick little sidebar. Uh, Tony George Jr. was running Super V at the same time we were running Super V. So okay. I got a chance to meet him and to meet Mary Holman George. And um, just, uh, um, you know, just the whole idea of being involved in, in, in around the family, that gave us a good end when we went to the Speedway to say, hey, we just want to use your parking lot. So we've been doing that for... Um, a number of years and in 2000 in, in 2020 i'm trying to get a schedule so i'm talking to uh doug bowles and others there at the speedway to get our schedule for the year and um uh doug said to me he said you know what i really don't know what's going to happen rod you know roger is not um not wanting to have anything other than high level racing going on at the track and uh i said Man, that's that's a shame. You know, we you know I got kids depending on you know coming in and having a good time. So um, I got a call, and they said, so Doug went to talk to him. I'm sure about our schedule, and what came back is I got a call saying Roger Penske wants to see you. I said about what, you know, because I'm thinking, I know he's not taking his time to go over my schedule for right, right. go kart, <laughs> right? And so. Um, Anyway, I said, okay, you know, let's meet. And we did. And uh, the first thing he said was, hey, I understand that we, we're, you know, we're, we're partners. And I said, how so? He says, well, you, I you know, you've been here for a number of years, and we'd like to uh, uh, understand more about that and how we can help. 
So I told him, I said, you know, one of the biggest things that has been a positive for us is having kids right now, about 2,500 kids has passed through your gates uh, over these several years. And I give them their first experience for the most part coming into the 500. And I said, those could be future fans. But the part that really got to them was the fact that um, a lot of the families didn't feel welcome. And he said, yeah. everybody should feel welcome at the 500 and at the Speedway. And I said, well, you got a whole community that's never been invited if you go back to your history in the 50s when we couldn't be here. And mm -hmm. you know, except maybe pick up trash. So um, long story short, that started our relationship. And um, uh, unbeknownst to me, they had started this initiative called the Race for Equality and Change. Uh, I'm still not sure what exactly that means, but they um, <laughs> good. Uh, said that, yeah said we'd like to support your program and um so you know i asked for certain things and they've you know kind of come through and um one day roger said why did you do this and i explained to him you know how important it was to me for nxg to be this bridge between the racing community and the um african-american community mm -hmm. and uh, he, he said you know i'd like to see a black at indy and i said you know we already done that I said, I'd like to see a black team at Indy. And he goes, hmm, what does that look like? I said, I tell you what, I'll put together a plan for you. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how we got started. You know, um, I, I had the idea of, of doing it and thought we got started in USF 2000. I wanted to start at a lower level on, on, on the yeah. way to uh, of, um, the ladder system. And then um, we just kind of did a year. We won at New Jersey uh, in USF 2000 with Miles Rowe. And then um, when uh, Roger said he'd take the Indy Lights back under the IndyCar wing, he'd like to see us participate in that. So we climbed Miles, to do uh, IndyCar, Indy Lights. Miles is an incredible kid. I So I'm a Formula One guy. You know, I like IndyCar, you know, it, and there's been a ton of crossover the last couple of years with some drivers coming over. And, you know, it's kind of piqued my interest and, and I went to um, went to St. Pete for um, for Spike Kolbecker. He's a kind of family friend, yeah. and you know he yeah. helps my son out at the track. and And so I went to the race, and you know I was going around the back, and I just kept hearing this Miles kid was like just destroying it out there, you know. And like, and I was like, I was thinking, I was like, this kid's really talented, you know, and. And then, you know, like we leave and, you know, I'm kind of following USF 2000 for Spike and, and I keep seeing Miles like podium, podium, win, podium, win, win, no money. And like, I'm like, how does a kid that's winning, like basically winning the championship, not have any money, you know, like how does the threat of losing your job? I'm thinking of as a team owner, I'm like, uh, I'll pay you to come continue doing this. Like I, I was... Yeah floored by that and like i don't know like you just he he actually did something so we have a marketing agency a family marketing agency and so like i always pay close attention to social media and you know how not so much what people are like whatever trends are going on but like how people use it and he was always really authentic and so like after the first couple of races, I was like, oh, this kid's a winner, you know, let's follow him, you know? And, and so I followed him and then I started seeing posts of like, you know, he was actually talking about like, I don't have any funding, you know, I might have to walk away. And I was like, you know, that's really rare for somebody to come out and basically say, say like in my success, I'm failing, you know? And like, there's a rawness and, and an authenticity attached to that that i think fans just like latch onto, and i'm thinking this kid should start a gofundme account like people would like throw all sorts of money at this because it's a story you know like if that doesn't have all of the ingredients of a based on a true story movie like i'm not sure what else does <laughs> and you know of course he gets funding he he continues to move up the ranks and he continues to win he makes rookie mistakes like any rookie does but yeah, like yeah. he's he's really talented and i just yeah you know that was just one of those things where um when when we got started i i had 
uh, just a small group of African-American drivers that I knew. And I knew Miles. I had talked to his dad when he was 14 and was just getting into karting. And he has not done a lot of karting. And, um, but he had tested USF 2000, and that was one of the reasons why I said, uh, you know, to him and, and, and I you know, called him and said, hey, would you come and test um, with us at Indy? And he said, sure. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm in college. Wow, that's impressive. So, but he came and, and we got started. But then when, um, when we had to go to Indy Lights, the, the, the funding was cut for him. And um, I had to jump through some hoops to try to make sure that he stayed funded. And, you know, he's still my guy. I talk to, you know, talk to him every week. So it's the same thing now. We're doing Indy. We're going to do Indy Pro next year. Does Force Indy have a team? I mean, do you have a branded car? I've seen your trailers before. Yeah. Like. So, right. So we had um, we had a team when we did USF 2000, and then this last year with Indy Lights. But we have now transitioned to where we're going to be more of a mentoring organization, more okay. of a sponsoring organization. So what I'm trying to do is I want to reach as many people as I can, and I realize that how much money we have to spend, and how the sponsorship has to flow in order for us to really do well as a team and you know we weren't a two-car team or three-car team and I Ryan you understand this I did not want to get into the model of taking money from those who had the wherewithal to race and 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 put my business together so Mm -hmm. I said you know rather than to even do any of that why don't I take the dollars that I can and try to funnel it through to these young people and give them that shot. So this year, we've, we're supporting uh, Ernie Francis Jr. He's going to have Force Indy livery on his Force uh, on the uh, Indy Lights car, and mm-hmm. we're going to have Miles, who's going to have uh, Force Indy livery uh, on the um, in the, you know USF 2000 Pro. So that, and I'm going to continue to to get the word out. I'm going to continue to raise money so that I can move it towards there. There are other young people coming out. And I mean, you and I know a young man that's, you know, trying to, you know, he's 12 years old. I know a young lady that's 16 right now that I'd love to get into USF 2000. Um, But they're not going to get there unless someone like me helps them find the dollars to do it. And I'm taking those dollars to other teams that are, you know, well-funded and well-organized. I just hope that they realize how tough it is to get these kinds of dollars to take to them and they would look at them as being, you know, equally respectful and important. Because you know how this game works. The more you the more you pay, the more you play. So I'm hoping that we can find individuals that will say, okay, I'm paying. Yes, I'm going to maybe pay the minimum to get there. But please give this person an equal shot. I love that story. So you've been around, you've been around motorsports for a very long time. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lighten it up here. <laughs> okay. What's what's been your pinch me moment in in motorsports? Like at what point? What experience did you have where you're like, I can't even believe that I'm here. Like you're an you're an architect, you know, and and a, and an entrepreneur, and you're also kind of, I don't know, most people would say at the forefront of motorsports in the U.S. And so, like at what point were you like, this is insane? I can't believe I'm here. Um, it, it really wasn't until August 29th, 2021. And even though I put all this together, that was the day that Miles came across the finish line first. Yeah. And, and our team, of all the things and all the adversity, and you hear about it. And not, when I say adversity, I'm not just talking about the fact that we did we started off not knowing what the heck we were doing with building the car to um, being able to get things set up, uh, get the right setup. But it was like the literally the perfect storm because it rained and the track was wet, wet enough where everybody was running with rain tires. And Miles was unbelievable in the rain, unbelievable. He was faster than anybody on the track. He started 10th, finished first. And... Um, we, we couldn't believe it. And I was in a state of shock 
and disbelief, but then the pinch me time came in. Oh my gosh, we just won our first race and we've come from like zero, from nothing to here we are. And um, I, 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 I was speechless. And it was almost at a point where, you know, I could feel the tears would flow. And, right. and it wasn't, they weren't tears of, oh, we won, we won. It was the fact that so many things had to come together for Miles and our team to be the first African-American-led and African-American driver to win an IndyCar-sanctioned event. First in history. And I didn't even think about it until one of the reporters who interviewed me, he goes, how does it feel to be the... I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, you guys, are, you, know, you made history today and no one will ever be the first to do this. And, and I think that's, that was my moment. Of all the things I've done, that, that was the moment. I think the rest of them was always working hard to try to just get there. And when I got there, it was, oh, okay, we're here. <laughs> you know, now we got more work to do. So, um, that, but I would have to say that was it. Motorsports should always be hyphenated. Motorsports, like, AKA adversity. Like, I think, I mean, like, Nicholas Latifi's a billionaire and he has adversity all the time. You know, like, it, everyone has it. Some people have it way more than others, but yeah, it, it is, you know, it is honestly the most grueling industry you could ever enter for anyone because it is it is riddled in like clouds nobody nobody knows how to navigate it unless you're like part of the inner sanctum and you understand how the network works and yet that's one of two purposes of this show is really to you know open the doors of motorsports to fans so they know like what does an engineer do? What does an aerodynamicist do? What is a young driver's life like? What is it like for the parent, the drivers of a, or the parents of a driver? And then, you know, people like you, people that have programs around motorsports, teams within motorsports, careers within motorsports. And then the second really is just education and hope for young people to understand like how you get in it. Because not one guest that I've had on this show filled out an application, uploaded their resume, got a call back and a job offer. Like all of them fought for their job and, you know, responded to something on social media, got somebody's attention, you know, walked up to somebody, you know, Lewis Hamilton's story, like walked up to Ron Dennis, like arguably like the most powerful person in Formula One at the time. And was like, you know, hey, hey, you know, I'm, I'm gonna win a championship for you one day. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, sure, kid. <laughs> he, he delivered. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, he delivered more than once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, 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 you're absolutely right. There is so, it, I, I call it, I call it one of the most fickle sports on the planet. Yeah. It, and, and it gives you such a high or thrill to be successful in it. And when you're not, I think you just, there's still that keep coming back, keep coming back to get there. And um, I like to make that available to everybody. I, I, that, I think when you and I were at the track talking, I think that was the one thing where I was like, this is where I connect with this guy because I mean, I've, I've had these conversations with a number of parents, with a number of kind of similar programs to what you have is really to say like, isn't the norm, doesn't the norm suck? Like you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. So like for me, it's like, how can we, how can we mess with the system? You know, and, and, and I just, to me, I think that motorsports is about to enter kind of a renaissance period, especially here in the US where, um, you know, social media, social media drives the world, you know? And I, I really think that eyeballs and social media and marketing and ads and brands are going to like drive some of the nonsense that you're seeing. And you see it kind of in Formula One and then it trickles into IndyCar and, and so forth. But what you're seeing is right now in Formula One kind of a purging of 
buying a seat because teams are like, oh, we're making money now. We don't need your money anymore because of budget caps and sponsor dollars and, you know, marketing. We're able to now operate without driver money. We can actually afford to pay you now. And and so I think there's going to be a time where it, it starts to hit IndyCar. And obviously IndyCar is a bit of a different animal than Formula yeah. One. And so those those feeder systems, you know, I've really, really been kind of, maybe desperate to figure that formula out to say, you know, do you give kids quarter of a million bucks a year to get up the system? I'm not sure that's the best thing, but I do think that um, what you're doing is, is an education in that process. You're saying, here's a quarter of a million bucks, and then here's how you raise your own money. Here's how you treat people with respect. Here's how you maintain good character, drive results, you know, a passion for it. And you're, you're checking off more of those boxes, I think, that are ultimately required for one day somebody like Miles having a million eyeballs staring at him. And, and teams are like, uh, we'd, we'd really like to have him on our team because people are paying attention and our sponsors actually want him because of his exposure. And so... Miles is more of like jumping into the, I don't know, the jet stream. And, you know, his his eyeballs are kind of driving this tidal wave of momentum in his career because the teams obviously want to appease their sponsors. The sponsors want those million eyeballs or whatever that is. And so they kind of just grab him and take him through the ranks and, and allow him to focus on driving and you know you're chasing talent and you know like i said earlier the meritocracy of talent and and character and you're, no, you're hitting I on it more to, than most i'm i'm uh, i'm working and thanks to 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 you ryan and, and and people like us that really want to see this succeed um with something i think is more sustainable when it's not just the dollars um i liken it to to college and um what's going on with stick and ball sports you know if you go to college and you're a good football player you have an opportunity to get in the draft and be selected and and it's not perfect you know it's not a perfect system of course um but you all of a sudden find that you're getting some of the best talent out there and you know thinking talent physical talent all of the above and until we get to that sort of system, we're not, I don't think we're going to have the best. And everybody talks about good engineers. I don't think we have the best engineers. I, I, don't, I think there's a, a part of our community that doesn't even get a chance to have a shot at it. Yeah. I would like to see us you know, look at the kind of program like I have and others where we can say, okay, let's give scholarships to kids to go to these different levels. And as you mentioned, instead of handing a kid, you know, twenty. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or these days a half a million dollars, to to go do a series. Let's put a price yeah. cap on that. Let's let's. I like your Renaissance. Let's bring these manufacturers back in so that maybe these series cannot be so expensive. But then we can put kids in it that um, uh, start use it as true development because people talk about development and, and and all it is is who brought the money. I'll let them race. That's not developing, in my mind, it's not necessarily developing talent. So I would love to be able to offer scholarships to young people um, to race. And, and also to go in and say, hey, I want to be a marketer. I want to do a podcast. Well, what do you, what do you need to, to know to do that? Let's get you that education, that information and awareness, and mm -hmm. maybe I can support that financially too. So it's, it's not just putting a kid in a seat. I think it's also getting those in the, in the paddock and in the garage and in the office. Man, Coach Reed, seriously, like I could probably talk to you for another hour, but I'm not going to be the dad that doesn't show up to pick his daughter up. Um, <laughs> you got to be there, my man. I, I, uh, yeah, I can never disappoint that young woman. So I, uh, I do, I do have to jump. I'm seriously, I am really thankful. I, I would actually really encourage you to be a regular on the show just for exposure of what you're doing, you know, the results of your drivers and kind of, I mean, look, when people hear stories, they attach to it. And um, 
and they want to support it. And, you know, I have a pretty broad audience and I really, you know, again, I equally try to expose IndyCar as much as I expose Formula One. And I, and I think that both systems are desperate for, for some change and just a different way of thinking. And I, and I think you're doing that. So would love to have you on. I'd love to get Miles on the show, like tell his story. Like, I think he's got an incredible story. Like I love, I love watching people who are just kind of like naturally talented, have good character and really just don't let, don't let their heads get too far in front of their skis and, um, and go. So man, I, I, I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Absolutely. Same here. And, uh, we'll, we'll make that happen. We'll, we'll, we'll get Miles on here, and I would love to come back. You just let me know when you got a slot for me. Anytime, man. I have all your links on the show, too. People pay attention. Okay. Follow this guy. Catch him at a track and have a conversation. <laughs> all right. Sounds great. <laughs>